Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. What we're, what we're doing here is that God has brought us together. God has called us to be His people. Amen. God has made us to be His people. And, and what, is, what is worship? It's, it's our response. God calls us to Himself. He saves us. He rescues us. He redeems us. He makes us His. And then we respond in worship. So Sunday morning is a time where we just uh, respond. We come to meet with Him. He's here. We meet with Him. We, uh, we respond by our, our offerings of, of song. We respond with our offerings of prayers. We respond with our offerings of tithes. We respond with our offerings of thanks and worship. We respond with our offerings of singing and glorifying God. We respond to the glorious God and He meets us. And so we also respond by listening to His Word. His Word preached and uh, proclaimed. We showed up this morning, and uh, it was funny, uh, came in, and the drums wouldn't work. Electronic, you know, how do drums not work? It's an electronic drum set. <laughs> so it wasn't coming on. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks up and just flips a switch, and it's on. Right? And somebody said, what's the secret of that? And somebody else said, well, there's some secret sauce to it. You've got to know the secret sauce. I don't know if that's true or not. Just somebody knew where the button was, <laughs> right? Praise God. And, and uh, you know, but you think about that. We look at that, that secret sauce or what's the secret. Sometimes we think about prayer that way. We all have people that we're praying for. We have institutions that we're praying for. We pray for our country. We pray for churches. We pray for people suffering. We pray for family members that are broken or hurting. We pray for people to come to Jesus Christ. Amen. And we wonder, is there a secret sauce? Is there a secret that we don't know about? Is there a way to have effective prayer? How do we pray effectively? That's what the sermon text is about today. I, I don't know if today what we're going to look at, it's the only secret, the prayer. We're going to have a whole sermon series on prayer come September. But we want to pray effectively. We want to see people's lives changed. When we see churches changed, we want to say communities changed. How do we pray for God to do His amazing work of salvation and transformation? How do we see God change lives? Please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 9. Book of Daniel, chapter 9, we are going to start right in verse 1. Daniel 9, verse 1. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may His people respond. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asuras, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord of, to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And so pause right there for a moment. And we see that uh, Daniel's in the word of God. He's reading Jeremiah the prophet. He reads something that gets his interest. 
He reads something that, that catches his imagination. He reads something that he, he's fascinated by, as we'll see. Jerusalem, as he knows, as maybe we need to remember at this time, was in desolation. It had been ruined. It had been wrecked. It had been destroyed. Its people had been enslaved. Its people had been slaughtered. Its people had been sent into exile. And Daniel, as he's reading the prophet Jeremiah, he reads that Jeremiah said that 70 years for the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, uh, uh, why, uh, as we come into this text, uh, to understand the significance of it, to understand the relevance of it, to understand the purpose of it, the meaning of it, we, we have to ask some questions. Why has Jerusalem been ruined? Why is it undergoing desolations for 70 years? And why 70 years? Let's do some investigating. Let's look into it to see where Daniel is going with this. So please open your Bibles. Turn, turn with me to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We're going to start in verse 11. Now, anybody reading uh, Chronicles right now in your daily devotions? Nobody? Man. I'm not either. <clears throat> uh, chapter 36, verse 11. Zedekiah, yeah, it's kind of right in the middle of your Bible and turn to the, turn to the left and you're still nowhere close. So it's uh, 2 Chronicles, you'll find it. My page number is 456. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. Zedekiah, just so you know, is the last king of Jerusalem before the desolations came. The last king in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck, that's pride and arrogance, hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All the officers of the priest and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. They polluted the house of the Lord that he might be <laughs> he made holy in, in Jerusalem. The abominations of the nations. Boy, we're seeing some of that these days, aren't we? Amen. The wickedness, the fallenness of man, the evil moral character coming out, even being institutionalized and turned into laws. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And you see in the picture that is being painted here, it's talking about the end of a reign, the end of the monarchy, the end of the nation, the end of the city of Jerusalem. The judgments, not the total end, but an end for a season. They rejected the word of God. They wouldn't listen to the word. They rebelled against the word. They went their own ways. They followed the false gods and the idols of the days. They, they worshipped what the peoples worshipped and not what God said should be worshipped. God's precepts were being ignored. God's principles were thrown into the dirt. They were hard-hearted and stiff-necked against the word of the Lord their God. Therefore, verse 17, 
He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on the young man or the virgin, old man or aged. He gave them into his hand, and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, treasures of the king and the princes, all he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And so the first two questions is read Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. What happened to Jerusalem? They rebelled against their God. They would not follow the precepts, the principles, the teaching of their God that they were in covenant with, that they were in relationship with, that God had brought them out of Egypt and saved them to be his people. And they said, we'll be your people. You be our God. God kept his promises. They did not. So he sent them into exile for 70 years. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, the 70 years, what's that about? It says here, all the days that lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill seven years. So what, what's that look like? What that's about? Uh, turn it into the law, the Torah, Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Look at verse 1 with me. You might not be aware of this, uh, this teaching or this, this principle here, but look at what it says. The, this was law for Israel. Okay, law, old covenant law for Israel. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Okay, so we've heard about people keeping a Sabbath, right? The Old Testament, everybody was supposed to rest on the seventh day, rest on a Saturday, take that Saturday off. Keep your Sabbath. That's out of the Ten Commandments. We haven't heard much about the land keeping a Sabbath. But, verse 3, for six years you shall sow your field. For six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in the fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself uh, in, in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. <clears throat> so, Every seven years is the farmers, the ranchers, the people in agriculture, whether they're vineyard workers or they run in sheep, whatever, let that land rest. Don't sow anything, don't work it. And the trust is, it's the same thing with the manna from heaven stories, right? For 40 years, you've got to trust God for six days, the seventh day that he's going to bring manna. Same thing for your land. Israel is saying, from now on in promised land, I promise I'm going to feed you. I'm going to promise that I'm going to take care of you, God's saying to the people. So give the land a rest. Let the soil regenerate itself. Let, the, let, the, let, let everything just go fallow for a year and trust me that I'm going to take care of you. Unfortunately, Israel did not. For some 490 years from the time that Saul came to power all the way to the end of the kingdom, they did not observe the commandment of God. 
And I tell you what, our God is patient. Patient is our God. He is so long-suffering with sinners like us. So long-suffering against rebels. He, he's so patient. Man, he, he, He's patient with sinners. He's full of mercy. His steadfast love is new every morning. He is so merciful. So decade after decade and century after century, Israel's thumbing their nose at God and saying, we're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it our way. Let the land rest for a year. What do you know? And so... God, God did the math. Every seven years that you missed, I'm going to send you into exile so that the land will have its Sabbaths back. Generally speaking, 490 years, they were disobedient. So for 70 years, all the Sabbaths that the land missed, God's giving back the land its rest. And so Israel, you're out of the land for 70 years. Because of your wickedness and your evil, your rebellion against the covenant that I made with you. And so uh, Daniel's reading this, and he's reading, he's reading about the seven years of desolations. Where did it come from? It's God's word to the land. He wants to bless. God, God is this, man, wherever, whatever he's made, whatever he's done, he's always blessing. He's so good. He wants to bless. He wants to... He wants to see things thrive. He wants to see things built. You know, the, 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 the mandate in Genesis, fill the earth and, and, and bring order to it, subdue the earth, build it up. He's always building. He's always encouraging. He's always bringing life. And, and sinners, rebels, we're always trying to tear things down and make it about us. But he's bringing life. And so Daniel in chapter 9, he's, he's reading this and he where is Daniel in chapter 9? It says the first year of Darius. Okay, the first year of Darius, that's 538 B.C. Okay, what happened in 538 B.C. that we've been talking about for several weeks? That's when the Babylonians were judged. That's when the Persians took over. That's almost 70 years. Daniel was taken into captivity about 605 B.C. If you do the, the math, it's about 67, 68 years. And so he's reading this about the desolations lasting 70 years, and he's in about 67, 68 years. And you can imagine his excitement as he reads the Word of God, and he sees God's promises about to be fulfilled. As he reads the Word of God, and he says, God said 70 years. We don't know if that's an exact number or a round number or whatever. It's getting close. It's near. And so he reads Jeremiah's prophecies. What, what are Jeremiah's prophecies? Look at Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25. We're going to start in verse 8. Jeremiah 25, start in verse 8. Therefore... Thus says the Lord of hosts, that's the God of the angel armies, okay? Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So it's, an, it's a judgment theme again. He's announcing prophetically to Jerusalem that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and judge 
the land. Just what we read happened in the history book of Second Chronicles. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all those, these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish them from the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of bridegroom and the voice of bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. It's a serious judgment. The whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Daniel's reading this. He's saying, he, he, he's seeing what, Jan, uh, what uh, Jeremiah is preaching and what he's prophesying. And, and Jeremiah is saying, after 70 years, I'm going to judge the Babylonians. I'm going to get rid of them. And what's just happened in Daniel's world? The Babylonians have been judged. The Babylonians' reign and rule has come to an end. The Persians have taken over, just as God promised. God's word comes true. God's prophetic word is true. It, it's real. It, it, God knows the future. He speaks the future, and it comes true. But that's not all that Jeremiah said about the 70 years. Turn over to chapter 29. Chapter 29, verse 10. Again, this is, this is setting up this question, how do we pray effectively? How, how, do we, how do we pray in a way that changes lives and changes the world? Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, that's Yahweh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And just pause there a second. Do you hear what Jeremiah said? After the 70 years, Israel, and in the context of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is pronouncing judgment over Israel, judgment over Judea, judgment over Jerusalem. But he says, after 70 years, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring the people back. So Jeremiah is reading this, and, and what does God say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So oftentimes we hear that on the National Day of Prayer, that, that, that uh, scripture. Uh, we, we read that, but really it's a promise to Israel. We can pull principles from that. We can pull ideas from that. We can apply that. You know, we can pray that. We, we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for our country. But originally it was for Israel, this promise. Okay. They're in exile. I'm going to bring you back. You turn back to me. You turn your face towards me. You seek me. You pray to me. You, you hunger after me. You pursue me. You put me at the preeminent place where I need to be again. And I will restore you to the land. But the promise is there. Daniel's hearing this promise. So back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. 
So he's, he's heard this, and you can imagine how exciting it is. Part of the prophecy is coming true. It's already come true. Babylon's being destroyed, and it's being defeated. And now God's promise is that, that the people will come back. And, and what does Daniel do? Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And pause again. We've got, we've got to look at that. Daniel responds to the promise of God by praying for the promise of God to come true. Daniel prays, he responds to the revealed Word of God by praying that the revealed Word of God would come true. And it's it's not a, a, hey, God, if you just do that, that would be awesome. I'm getting back to PlayStation now. No, what kind of, what kind of prayer is this? I, I turn my face to God. You know when your kid, when you're talking to your kid and they won't look at you? Look at me. Amen. Pay attention to me. Look me in the eyes. So Daniel, I turn my face to God. I looked full in his face, in other words. I paid attention to him. I put my attention, my eyes unto the Lord. I turned my face to God. My prayer and my pleads for mercy. He went into passionate, zealous prayer. Fasting with sackcloth and ashes. Now that's not a New Testament thing necessarily. The the sackcloth and ashes is primarily an Old Old Testament thing. You know, now in the New Testament, when we pray, we're, you know, let's not make a big deal out of that in, in public. Let's not show off in front of people. The, Jesus recognized there was some, some dangers to uh, coming to church with sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> Maybe you'd make it about you. But in the Old Testament, there's this, there's this tradition, this, this sense of when, when, when you turn your face to God, you want Him to turn your face his face towards you. And so you make it known that you're mourning. You know, sometimes they'd rip their clothes in mourning. But sackcloth, it's itchy and, and ashes is a sign of ruin. So it's a very humble stance of prayer. It's a f- very self-defacing stance of prayer. He, he's humbling himself and, you know, he's putting himself at a very low level. And he's, but he's saying, God, look, God, hear God, pay attention. My heart, this is my heart. This is my dream. This is, this is my hope. He, he takes prayer seriously. Amen. But notice what he takes seriously. He's praying the Word of God. He's praying for the Word of God to come true. Now, we, does that seem weird to you? Does it seem strange to you? That uh, God's sovereign will, when it's known, I mean, God said what He's going to do. God declared His sovereign will. He made His plans known. I know the plans I have for you, and here's my plans. I'm going to restore you after 70 years. You know, the, the land's got to make up its Sabbaths. You know, that wickedness, I'm going to judge you for it. You're going to be desolate for 70 years, but I'm going to bring you back. His plans have been made known. He made it clear through the prophets. And doesn't it seem strange that as soon as he knows the will of God, that's when he really starts to pray? And does, does it seem strange that as he knows the will of God, that's when he starts very heartfelt, passionate, zealous, humble, self-defacing, seeking the face of God 
desperate prayers. Is God going to do His... Some people say it like this, well, if God is sovereign, why should I pray? If God knows everything, why should I bother praying? If God is going to do what He's going to do, why should I share the gospel? If God is going to do what He's going to do, why should I help people? If God, you know, like kind of a Hinduism thing, well, they got in that, that role themselves, and so let them get out of it. You know, it's karma. Let them suffer. In the next life, maybe they'll get to back into position. But I, if I help them, that's messing with God's mojo. That's messing with the universe's thing. You know? So some people say, well, why should I pray if God already knows what he's going to do? And yet Daniel says, because I know what God's going to do, I'm going to pray. Amen. Because I know God's will, I'm going to pray passionately and boldly and strongly for it to happen. That's maybe a new thought to us. But because Daniel knows that God is sovereign, that's why he prays. He knows God's will, so he prays God's will. Standing on the promises of God my Savior. Daniel comes and he pleads, in his pleas for mercy, he's crying out for, for God to move in among his people. Because, you know, when you love somebody, man, you love your kids, you love your spouse, you love your church, and you see things that are going on, and, and uh, the last thing you do is go, hmm. You know, prayer is driven by Love. It's not this thing that we go through the motions with. It's not this thing that just jump through hoops and it's not this mechanical push button A and X, Y, and Z happens. You can tell that Daniel loves his people and he's so excited. So he prays when he finds out the will of God. It's, it's, a, it's a great and beautiful thing. Verse 4, so I prayed to the Lord. How, how do we pray to the Lord Again, the question is, how do we pray effectively? I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God, Belongs, bless, belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking by His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. 
For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning our, from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, at this day we have sinned. We have done wickedly. <clears throat> any, any questions about the point of that prayer? <laughs> Man, he hammers this idea of confession. He leaves no doubt to where his heart is for his people. He leaves no doubt before his God about where the people have been. He acknowledges it. <clears throat> Confession is this beautiful thing where we admit we've done wrong. Confession is this beautiful act with people in relationship where we come to somebody that we've hurt and we acknowledge that we've hurt them. We acknowledge that we've sinned. We acknowledge that we have done what is evil. Confession then can lead to forgiveness. If we confess, then we can ask for forgiveness. And hopefully the relationship comes into a right relationship once again. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 is interesting, and, and I don't know if you noticed the different ways that he, he the different titles that he, he used for God. There's Adonai. In your text, it's usually the, the small face, the L-O-R-D, Lord. And then there's Yahweh, the, the, the capital letters, L-O-R-D. This is the only place in Daniel, the, the chapters of Daniel, where Yahweh is used. And it's used seven times. The covenant name of God, the personal name of God, Yahweh. And so he's praying this covenant prayer of restoration and healing and in, in commitment. And so he comes to the covenant-keeping God and he says, Yahweh, we've done wrong. And again, seven. Interesting how seven's uh, the number of completion and there's 70 years and there's 70 weeks. And there's a lot of sevens going on in the book of Daniel. Completion of healing is his prayer. We'll look more about that next week. But we come here and we see just how brutally honest he is with his people's sins. If you look at verse 5, let's count how many different ways he acknowledges wickedness. We have sinned, one, and done wrong, two, verse 5, acted wickedly, three, and rebelled, four, turning aside from your commandments, five, and we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, six. <laughs> how many more ways can you say we messed up? We rebelled. We've been wicked towards you. We haven't kept your ways. And, and he confesses that sin. And he's asking for God to, to move. Now again, think about this. He already knows the Word of God. He already knows the will of God. God has already decreed that He's going to restore the people. And yet Daniel's coming before his God relationally, on behalf of the nation, is acknowledging the sin of the people. 
He acknowledges his own sin in this text. Where do you think he got this idea from? Where do you get the sense that you should confess sins? Where do you think this is coming from? Can, can Can I surprise you by saying that Daniel is praying the Word of God? Daniel is simply saying from the heart what God told Israel to say when they messed up. We don't have time today to hit a lot of scriptures, so I narrowed it down to a few. Leviticus 26, please. Go back to the law, Leviticus 26. Verse 40. Leviticus 26, verse 40. And now, again, God is in the section of 26. There's, man, you keep the covenant, there's going to be blessings. But if you don't keep the covenants, you know, there's going to be problems. And so this is the end of the explanation of the, the curses that will come upon Israel for breaking the covenant. Verse 40, but if they conf- confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so they walk contrary to them, and I brought them in the land of their enemies. If then they, their uncircumcised heart, that means hard heart, not devoted to God. If, if their uncircumcised heart is humble, then they make amends for the iniquity. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. And, and it goes on from there. You can write down, if you're taking notes, write down Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. But let me, let me take you back again to uh, Chronicles. Uh, maybe some of you go home and read Chronicles today. Or maybe not. But 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. The Word of God. And, and the, this, the section here is Solomon's prayer of dedication of the temple. You know, Solomon was given the grace of God to build this magnificent temple for God, for a place of worship for God. God didn't need it, but he, he, he condescended and he allowed himself to be placed in Jerusalem so that people would have a place to come and, and worship him. Uh, Solomon is praying uh, for this, this temple. He's, he's praying for the future. But notice in verse 36, 2 Chronicles 6, verse 36, uh, listen to his words here. Uh, Yahweh, if they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin. If you're angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they're carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive, and they pray towards their land which you have gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. So that's, that's Solomon's prayer. That's Solomon's prayer. And, and you've got to believe that, that Daniel, if he has access to Jeremiah's, 
prophecy. He certainly has access to the Torah, to the law, and, and, and he's read the, the history and, and uh, in Chronicles by the time it's written, perhaps, perhaps he's read, read this, this book as well, but he certainly read First uh, Kings where this, there's a parallel uh, description of this. But, but uh, what is God's answer to that? Look at Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, just turn the page to verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. How did God answer Solomon's dedication prayer? and plead for uh, the people. The Solomon finished the house of the Lord and king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Uh, and when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, and he, he's saying, yeah, your people are going to sin and I'm going to discipline for it. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if my people pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. You've never heard that verse before, have you? Amen. We pray that every national day of prayer as well. But again, the promise is to Israel first. We pull principles from it, but God is saying to, <clears throat> to Solomon, hey, yeah, I, if your people sin, I know they're going to sin. I know they're going to rebel because that's human nature. I've got an answer for that coming down the road. When they sin, if they turn back to me, I'm going to hear the prayer and I'm going to forgive them. And you know Daniel's prayer here, what is he doing? He's praying what God has told him to pray. Amen. You see, his prayers are prompted by the Word of God. His, his prayers, his way of praying, his mode of praying, his understanding of prayer, his way of relating to God, he's driven, he's, he's prompted, he's moved by the Word of God. Man, do we understand what a blessing we have in the Scriptures God's infallible word, his revelation, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. God's word to us. Do you even believe, folks, when, when we come to the word, you believe it, it's God's teaching, it's God's truth, but do you even believe that God has told us, he's taught us how to pray? Man, sometimes we come to this word and we treat it with contempt or we treat it as if it's not that important or it's not valuable. Sometimes we go... Not you, but some people go weeks without reading the Word of God. Some people, they're not invested in the Word of God. Not, not you, of course, but some people, they never bow the knee, they never open the Word of God to them. The revelation, the teaching, the truth, what God wants us to be and how He wants us to live. Not this church, of course, because this church knows where their health, where they're thriving, where they're flourishing, where... This church knows how to walk in this world and how to live because this church is in the Word of God. I am just fascinated by this. This, this, this way of, of Daniel, when he hears the Word of God, when he's prompted the Word of God, it causes him to pray. He prays back God's promises. He prays back God's will. He, he wonders how to pray for a broken people. He wonders how to pray for a broken nation. He wonders how to pray 
for broken people that he knows, people that he loves, people that he wants to see be restored and healed and, and brought back to repentance. And where does he go? He goes to the Word of God and he just basically prays line for line what God has said to pray when people are in trouble. <laughs> the secret sauce? Amen. Well, I, I, you know, I, I don't have a secret recipe. But I see Daniel praying the sovereign will of God back to God. I see Daniel knowing the word of God and God hearing Daniel's prayers that God has already placed before him decades before he read them. We are blessed to have the word of God. Uh, so there's, there's a different level to this. There's a different layer to this, however. Um, maybe you're wondering, maybe you're not a person of prayer. Maybe you, you, you wonder, man, I want to pray for our nation. I, I want to see this nation changed. There's a gal that visited from New Mexico last week, and, and we were talking after the service, and she said, man, this group that I'm with, we pray every week for our nation. We, and I wanted to go deeper and ask her how she did that, um, but it was just encouraging to me to know there's people out there that are praying praying for change, praying for transformation, praying for healing, praying for, for, for salvations to come, praying for churches, people that are on their knees because they believe that prayer changes things, that God hears prayers, that He answers from heaven. Encouraging. But maybe, maybe, maybe like, how do I pray? Well, notice kind of the flow here. Daniel, and this, this, is, this is something that... Uh, uh, Pastors have preached for years. You go to different nonprofits and, and the, the, the Christian nonprofits, and they say the same thing. Daniel comes to God first by acknowledging God's presence. He, he comes to God and, and he comes with adoration. Notice at the beginning of his, of his prayer, his time with God, um, in, in verse, verse 4 O Lord, Adonai, the, the sovereign one, the one in control, the great and awesome God. And then he talks about, uh, he, he comes to the righteousness of God. He comes to the covenant-keeping God, the covenant-keeper God who is love. He, he, throughout his prayer, he's, he's continually re reminding himself who he's talking to. This is a relationship. And he comes to God with adoration first. You know, he comes to God and, and, and then he goes into confession. He, he's concerned about the relationship. Maybe this is how you can pray. Come to God today. Maybe you never pray. Maybe you never get on your knees. Maybe, maybe you never just have that time with God. Start by just getting your head screwed on straight with who God is and acknowledging Him. Man, you're the God I worship. You're the creator. You're the maker. You're the great and awesome God. You're the God who keeps a covenant of love because you're a loving, good God. You know, however long that takes. You know, and, and boy, if you don't know what to say, where do you start? <laughs> Maybe read a psalm and see what the psalm expresses about God and pray that, what the psalm says about God. Just acknowledge Him and then move into confession. Lord, uh, yeah, I, you've seen me at business lately and, and I've been a stinker. <laughs> Lord, I, I didn't mean to lie to that lady. I didn't mean to rip off that customer, but maybe I did. But here I am, I'm, I'm confessing that, right? You, you move into a time of confession and you move into a time to acknowledgement that God's right and I haven't been. You spend as much time as you need there because this is a relationship. 
My sin separates from me from God relationally. It, it moves me away from God. It, it, it makes me shut down. And so I come back to God with open, open-hearted desire to know you and love you and be with you. And so, God, I, I hurt you. I know I hurt you. I, I know, man, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? You know, isn't that a beautiful thing to move towards God and just, just acknowledge that I haven't been the man of God that you want me to be. I haven't been the woman of God that you want me to be. I've been living this way and you want me to live this way. And man, I want this relationship to be right. Would you please forgive me? And, and uh, boy, you start seeing these things and I have to kind of show you just, oh man, look at that clock. Is that just evil or what? I just, maybe I don't have time, but um, let, let's, let's, I'm going to skip those other scriptures, Rose, and let's, let's go to chapter 9, uh, verse, verse 16. He starts with adoration, confession. In Daniel chapter 6, what does he do? He gives thanks to God. And so the prayer pattern, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Spend time talking about what God has done, how he's blessed you. Thank him for all the goodness in your life. Thank you for the beauty of the world. Thank you for marriage. Thank you for family. Thank you for, for his graces. Whatever you need to do, to thank him. And then he moves into petition. O oh Lord, acknowledge, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and, and, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and, and your people have become a byword among all those around us. Now therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. I, I love how that, that, that make your face shine from Numbers 6, the, the, the blessing, the priestly bless, turn your face towards us, right? Shine. He started off this prayer by, by I turn my face to God. And now he's saying, God, turn your face towards me. When, when the face is shining, the, 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 uh, the way the apropomorphism <laughs> of things giving God human characteristics. When somebody's face is shining, like I see Anna look at her kid and like her face is shining towards her kid. It's bright and it's alive and it's happy and it's joyful. Daniel's saying, God, look at us with joy again. Look on us with blessing again. Look on us with hope again. He's praying this passionate, zealous prayer that God would move in his life, move in his people's lives. But go back again. God's sovereign will, because he's, he's, he knows God is sovereign and God has, has a plan and a purpose, he prays God's sovereign will. And how does he pray? Does he pray a wooden, stiff prayer? No, it's this demanding prayer. It's this protest prayer. It's this prayer of like, God, you got to move. God, you got to act. Verse 18, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas be before you because of our, our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Man, one of the most demanding prayers in the Bible, one of the most urgent prayers. Lord, hear. Lord, act. Lord, forgive. Lord, see. And, and he does that because he knows what God's plans are. And it's a fascinating coming together of, of our free will and God's sovereignty, as John talked about earlier. You know, it, it, you look at this and you wonder how God moves and how God acts in prayer. Does our prayer change anything? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that God could do anything he wanted to 
but He sends the church out as His ambassadors to witness to Jesus Christ. Why does God use us? He chooses to. It's the same thing when we start talking about prayer. God has made His official decrees. He's decided what He's going to do. But His means of changing the world is through people. That's right. God knows what He wants to do, but He calls us to pray because we are the ones who unlock His sovereign will, as it were. We're the ones who, when we pray, things happen. God, in His amazing wisdom and sovereignty, has chosen to use you and I to accomplish His will. And so one of the beautiful things about praying His Word, praying what He's already said, is that we know it's going to happen, and yet, what's the catalyst for it? If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, they will turn and seek my face if they pray. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. May we be a church passionately, zealously, urgently praying for the will of God to be done in our day in our marriages, in our family members, in our church, in our community, in our nation. Would you stand in His presence? Lord God Almighty, uh, thank You for these people's patience with the long-winded preacher. Lord God, help them to pray for their preacher and their pastor that he could be wiser and more understanding of their precious time. Lord God, uh, please uh, apply your word to our life. Let us live as a people who pray to you, but we pray according to your will. We pray according to your revelation. We pray according to your promises for your sake. Lord, we see at that, that passage at the end, Daniel prays for, the, for, for, for things to come about, for God's word to come true, for the res restoration of Israel. He says several times, for your sake. And so Lord, make us a people of prayer for your sake and for your glory, for your fame and for your honor. We know that when you are preeminent, when your will is being done, everybody's life is better. So Lord, we ask for the power to be a praying church, the wisdom to apply what we've learned today, and may you be glorified. In your mighty and powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go out and bear fruit. Go out and serve the Lord God Almighty. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, 
by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.